Raising Cain is the title of the sermon tonight. You'll be able to tell your friends you heard Brother Wayne raise Cain on Sunday night at church and Barry did a little too. <laughs> it's the story of Cain and Abel. And uh, I learned some things about looking at this passage. I always thought raising Cain had something to do with raising Cain from the dead. And I was always confused because I, I thought Abel was the one who died. And he is. Raising Cain means something else. Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Let's stand together as we read this together. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Again, she bore his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is couching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me this day away from the ground and from thy face. I shall be hidden and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will slay me. The Lord said to him, not so. If anyone slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who came upon him should kill him. The Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray together. Father, help us to learn from the mistakes of Cain about the consequences of sin and help us be more like Abel to give you our best. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. So there are two men in front of us. They seem a long way away because layers of time separate us. The only record we have of them comes from this group of stories from the beginning of time. No archaeologist or historian will ever be able to give us more information about these two men. But there they are. Some things emerge from this story because of what we have in common with them. One man we know tills the ground thrust his spade into the earth, and around him rise stalks of maize and wheat. He's probably tall and strong and bronzed from his outdoor work. Tough man. Just looking at him probably says he's not someone to be trifled with. But now there's another man, no less strong or tanned, but he uses his ability differently. He is Cain's brother, Abel. He's a shepherd. And around his feet mill unruly sheep. Glancing upward, Abel notices that a lamb is missing. 
He spots it in the distance and pursues it and scoops it up and places it on his shoulders and returns it to the flock as much as that stained glass window. Can't really see it at night on the inside, but you sure can see it on the outside. I remember a couple weeks ago, I happened to be outside when the lights were on in the chapel at night, and they are beautiful to behold. Even more so, I think, than the sun coming in in the morning on the inside. But Abel has the sheep on his shoulder and returns it. That's not the only difference between Abel and his brother. Their eyes tell us volumes. Abel's eyes are full of light and laughter. His work, no less than Cain's, is also subject to the unpredictable forces of nature. Yet Abel has learned to take it in stride without becoming bitter. And when one animal in his flock is hurt, Abel hurts right along with it. Now you know the rest of the story. Both men offer sacrifices to the Lord of the harvest. And God accepts Abel's offering of his first and fattest lamb. I think that's the key. Verse 4, Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. God rejects Cain's offering. We don't know specifically why. Maybe it wasn't Cain's first or finest fruits. Maybe it was the spirit in which it was being offered grudgingly. But what is most important is how the story ends. Cain murders his brother Abel. Was it premeditated? I don't know. Maybe his invitation to Abel when he said, let's go out into the field was kind of like the bully's invitation at school to say, let's step outside. Maybe Cain's jealousy and anger got the best of him when they got outside and he wasn't just satisfied with punching Abel in the nose. Maybe he did something. Maybe he picked up a rock and hit his brother in the head, not even realizing the consequences of hitting someone in the head with a rock because murder had never occurred before. Maybe Abel, I don't know, maybe he gloated a little bit. Cain was mad at everybody already, even God, who seemed to show favoritism to Abel. So Cain wasn't just killing Abel, maybe he was killing everybody who liked Abel better than him. Maybe he was getting uh, even with everyone who had taken advantage of him. Maybe he was trying to get back at God who had sent some untimely snow or failed to bring much needed rain in recent seasons when the crops needed it. The murder of a brother is an unspeakable evil, but what Cain tried to do next is even worse. He tried to bury Abel in the ground and cover it up. Where is Abel, your brother? God asked, and Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, Cain, I'm glad you asked that question because as a matter of fact, you are. We are our brother's keepers, aren't we? And Cain spent the rest of his days, in his own words, as a fugitive and a wanderer trying to hide from God and from others and even from himself because of what he had done. Maybe he hoped somebody would kill him and put him out of his misery. But God closed even that avenue of escape. How often Cain must have thought about taking his own life. But the fear that something worse might follow death stayed his hand. The story of Cain and Abel is really not the story of how sin began because that happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. 
Cain and Abel tell us a little bit more about the results of sin. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis are the story of sin's beginning and its spreads and its results. It begins with the first couple in paradise. It spreads to their children and it doesn't stop until the whole world has been infected by it. And this evening I want to talk about the two primary results of this sin of, of Cain. Think about this. The two results of this sin are death and separation. Sin will always result in death and separation. And this story illustrates them both. The death is obvious. Cain kills Abel. Abel is dead. And then Cain is separated from God, from his family, from all other human contact, even from himself. His inner turmoil indicates that he is at war inside himself. And that's the way it always is when sin enters the picture. We know it's wrong and we do it anyway and we're set on odds on the inside and that's, that's called being under conviction. That's being convicted because you know what you did is wrong and you have separated the self that God created you to be from the self that sin has left in its, its wake. The story of Cain and Abel is not legend, it is true. And it repeats itself all the time because we are forever murdering the Abels in our lives and paying the price of what sin did as a result. We don't take up weapons and do in the people we don't like, but they're more subtle, deceitful forms of murder. Frederick Bickner says of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun. Don't we enjoy chewing over old injuries and imagining different kinds of torture we would like to inflict on the people who hurt us or embarrassed us or did us wrong in some way? Death is a result of sin. So because of sin, we all die and, and we spend our time torturing others in our minds. And then there's separation. Separated from God, separated from others, separated from ourselves. If we refuse to help others or turn away the offer of help, maybe God will say to us in the end, okay, you want to be left alone? Have it your way. I'll leave you alone for eternity. And that would have to be the most unimaginable horror of all, to be alone, to be separated from God, separated from everyone else in an isolation chamber, in solitary confinement forever and ever. Paul puts an interesting contrast in the book of Romans. He says that we are to consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So there are two sides. One side is dead to sin. The other side is alive to God. Sin is the source of death and separation. God is the opposite of death and separation. God is life and relationship and fellowship. How easy it is to forget that sin brings only death and God gives us life. So there's the choice, death, life, separation, relationship. It should be an easy choice. But we're always confusing those boundaries and we associate sin with having fun and God with being bored haven't you heard that old saying, especially among Baptists, that everything that is fun is either 
sinful or fattening? Where did we get the twisted notion that sin is fun and righteousness is boring? It's not. Righteousness can be fun. Relationship with God is abundant life. Barry would tell us that Martin Luther complained the devil had all the best music, so he took a dance tune from a bar room and wrote the words, To a mighty fortress is our God. And that's the way a lot of hymns in our hymnal came from old barroom tunes. Because in reality, sin is not fun. Sin is a hook with a barb in it. But being alive to God means being in a relationship with someone who's never boring and is always good and always loving and always wants the very best for us. So how do we move across the line from sin and death to life and fellowship? Well, go back a moment to this, to this story we began with. One of them bears a striking resemblance to a famous descendant. I've already pointed to it. Abel seeking a lamb, how he cares for the lame ones who can't keep up and hobble along behind. It's in his eyes, though, that the resemblance is most clear. Abel, I think, must have been happy and full of life and joy and compassion. And I think Abel might have even resembled a little bit the one we call the Good Shepherd, whom Luke called the son of Adam, named Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the key to moving from sin and separation and death to life and fellowship. He's the bridge between the death of sin and the life of God because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And Jesus gives us this life and reconciliation even when we play Cain to his Abel. And that life and reconciliation that Jesus offers means that even Cain, Cain could be forgiven and find peace. And that's a word we all need to hear over and over again. Whatever we have done, Jesus is the answer that we need for the forgiveness of our sins. So at the beginning, I admitted that I've always been confused about raising Cain. I, I knew it meant causing trouble, but I always thought it had something to do with raising Cain from the dead and the trouble that would create. But raising Cain means raising up the character of Cain, raising up trouble and mischief and anger and destruction and recreating it. Raising Cain is, another, is a euphemism for raising as my mom would spell, H-E double toothpicks. Did your mom spell that out? Cain learned the hard way that the wages of sin is what? It's death. Come to think of it, there's not an easy way to learn that lesson. But praise God, he's paid the price in full that we don't have to live with it forever. Maybe you have an Abel in your life. Someone you need to come to terms with. Or maybe even yourself. It's a slow and difficult process. But it can be done, not because I say it can be done, but because God says it can be done. 
because in a lot of ways, Jesus resembles Abel. Abel went to his flock and offered God the best that he had. And Jesus offered to God the best that he had too. He offered himself. And because of that, it means our sins can be forgiven. Raising Cain means causing trouble. But thank God there is an answer, and it's Jesus. Let's bow together. God, Abel was a good man, and he gave you his best. And so we see what anger and jealousy and hatred, even directed toward one in, in one's own family, we've seen what that can do and the damage, the harm that hatred brewing can create. Some of us here tonight are angry at somebody or something and we have let it stew within us too long. Root it out, God, and cleanse us from it. Some of us here tonight need forgiveness because we have done harm to someone. And we need to find forgiveness from them and from you. Help us, Lord, start this new year with a clean slate, with fresh opportunities, with the mistakes of the past behind us and forgiven, and the possibilities of a closer relationship with you always in front of us. You've given us that opportunity. Help us use it now in Jesus' name. Amen.